Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's it's going to be a kind of a weird episode. Um, didn't have a ton of time to work on VR stuff this week because I spent most of the week looking for work. I need to uh, refill the coffers. I've been uh, running my bank accounts pretty low lately working on VR stuff, so it's it's time to kind of go back into sales, whether that's on the FileMaker side or maybe doing some freelance work on the Unity side. But uh, yeah, it's been a week of me trying to sell me to various people and I've got a couple prospects lined up, but nothing really signed or uh, for sure yet. But that stuff takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. Um, I think I met with eight different organizations last week. Uh, both remote meetings and in-person meetings, a lot of meetings downtown. and um, Yeah, just been a busy week. It's kind of nice to know, even after a year of just kind of pulling back from most of the industry and just working on my own stuff, it's kind of nice to know that there's still so many people in my network that know who I am and answer my phone calls and are willing to meet with me. It's kind of gratifying. So. I, I'm actually impressed that you lined up eight meetings in a week. Yeah. on that short of a turnaround. Yeah, it was a busy Monday morning just making calls and got a bunch of stuff lined up. And uh, I've got uh, a couple of things that may be starting soon. And then uh, pretty good timing, one of my current customers contacted me with a potential new idea. And we talked a little bit about that on Friday. And uh, not sure if we're doing it yet, um, but knowing them, we probably are. <laughs> So yeah, just been spent a lot of time away from Unity this week, and then uh, I guess towards the end of the week, I can't really say why yet, but I started working with Unity landscape tools for a little side project I'm working on. And, okay. Uh, yeah. More coming later, hopefully, <laughs> if this turns into a thing. But uh, it's just little side projects I'm working on and particularly working with Unity Landscape and just making some environments that I can run in Steam VR. And I came across, I immediately came across some very weird stuff that will be, these are not news to anybody who's done VR for very long. I'm sure this, like I found people documenting this issue back to like 2014. But uh, just things that, I hadn't considered before um, like grass in unity is almost entirely 2d you just have little 2d decals that you feed into the landscape engine whatever that's called and then you can paint that on your landscape like you can with the materials but uh, those 2d decals or sprites or whatever they are under the hood they they kind of react to the camera, which on a 3D game on the PC or PlayStation or whatever, that's exactly how that should work. When you, they, they kind of, because they're 2D, they always face the camera mm -hmm. and they kind of do some automatic rotation. Um, but when you're in VR, they, it's, it completely breaks the illusion. You see the entire, like all of the grass in the scene moving together every time you move <laughs> your head, just like, okay. This is a neat idea for something else that I'm not trying to do right now. But Sounds like a good paranoia game. The grass is watching me. <laughs> or the dancing grass game. So yeah, um, similar issue with trees in Unity. Uh, it's a little bit, trees can be 3D objects or 2D objects. Um, and that's not to say the grass thing. There are 3D solutions out there, but when you're adding that much geometry to a scene, you're going to take a performance hit. So I guess the, the biggest takeaways was that grass and trees in Unity, in VR in particular, kind of suck right now. Like they're, they're really going to slow down your app and cut your frame rate down. Um, Unity has made some improvements in how trees render recently in VR. And I did some experimenting with that, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's kind of fun to run up to one of those limits in VR 
most of what I've done so far hasn't even slowed Unity or Unreal down at all because I'm just doing such basic developer art type scenes. But as I started getting into closer to photorealistic stuff, um, it's amazing just how quickly the brakes got slammed. <laughs> it also made me realize that I am, as much as I like my little MSI Trident, it is not a workstation class machine. Ah, okay. As soon as I started, as soon as I started throwing, you know, hundreds or thousands of trees and rocks into a scene, <laughs> like the editor slowed down quite a bit in a way that I haven't noticed so far. So yeah, I'm uh, just learning about the different landscape tools um, and then just making a, a greater variety of scenes that I've worked on so far. Mostly I've worked on indoor scenes and more abstract kind of uh, cyberpunk type scenes. But getting into the photorealistic stuff is a bit different. So just, you know, trying to learn some new stuff as I go. Also this week, um, last week we talked a lot about SteamVR, the plugin SteamVR in Unity and whether or not I should use it, whether or not I should implement my own versions of certain classes. Um, there's lots of places in the code where like, put your implementation here. And if we talked about, you know, if I do that, then the next SteamVR update that comes out, it's gonna undo all my changes. And voila, there's a new SteamVR update this week. <laughs> and uh, it's not a huge update, but it fixed a couple bugs um, and got rid of some deprecated stuff and added a few improvements. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of like, I was just about to start modifying a bunch of these things and then this shows up. So like, I need to figure out what to do here. Uh, other than that, it, I haven't really spent much time in Unity this week. There was some pretty cool stuff happening on the other side of the country. There was some kind of fancy conference this week. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. Um, it was something to do with consumer electronics. I don't <laughs> know. It seemed like something was going on, but uh, whatever it's called. Anyway, HTC announced their HTC Vive Pro, which don't get me started on the pro word. I hate <laughs> that. But uh, it's basically a a scaled up version of what they have now. It's got like a 78% increase in resolution, which I think is going to get us to the point where you can actually comfortably read text, um, not just text in a UI in a game, but maybe even be able to work on the desktop, like in the uh, Windows Mixed Reality headsets be able to actually work with application windows for long periods of time without getting a headache. Um, so I'm hoping for that. It's It looks like it's got a pretty nice build quality. They're building in its version of the Deluxe Audio Strap with it rather than selling that as an add-on. Um, there's some pretty good reviews. I'll post links to from Road to VR. I've just been following their stuff all week. And uh, it's some pretty cool stuff. They also announced a wireless accessory that... I know you've got the TP cast and you've got you've had your issues with it, but you're pretty satisfied with it. This one is uh, Vive's in-house solution, and I'm sure it, it works great, but it looks really stupid. <laughs> it's the weird triangle thing. Yeah, and it looks fine in pictures, but then when you see it on the headset on somebody's head, it just looks really, really stupid. Like I was just <laughs> just giggling at some pictures of it earlier. Like, that can't be a thing. I think you're underestimating how silly a VR headset looks on somebody's head to begin with. I, well, no, I'm, I'm already calculating that. Like, <laughs> I recognize how silly I look already with this thing. But putting this weird, it looks like a stick figure trying to hug the sun. <laughs> um, something like that. It's very strange. The... Some of the weird stuff that I haven't been able to find out more information yet is the that wireless accessory is going to be compatible with the current generation of Vive and the Vive Pro. And then a different article mentioned that the new Vive Pro is going to use the Steam VR tracking 2.0 2. and not what we're on now. 
which I'm not sure if that's backwards compatibility. Like, can I, can I just go buy the new Vipro headset and keep my controllers and lighthouses or do I need to replace all those things? Do I need to have two sets of everything set up if I want to use both headsets? There's still a lot of questions for me. And well, that'll be great. Just an array of lighthouses on top of a tripod in these corners of the room. Yeah. Just a bank, like six of them. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that would suck. And people would have Vive and Rift are already doing that. But, uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like it would be fun. Yeah, I was looking at the thing, and <clears throat> the 78% increase in resolution sounds really tasty. Um. But I've kind of got my rig all set up now. Like, I've got the Vive headset, and I've got the wireless set up, and the wireless is working, and this is all kind of happy. And I'm not entirely sure that right now I'm ready to go ahead and jump into the next tier of that. So I'm kind of thinking in terms of, like, going to a TikTok sort of every other generation, I'll do whatever it takes to move to the latest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also assumes that nobody actually, that nobody that I know gets a Vive Pro and puts it on my head. Because if I actually look at that resolution and I like it, there's a really good chance that I'll just end up going out and getting one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on, uh, it's not the top of my list of things that I want to get. Um, it's definitely cool. And I wouldn't, if somebody was looking to get into VR and that's available, I would say go straight to that one. Don't right. bother with the first gen. Um, at the same time, the only thing that would make me... I, w- I would want to wait like a month or so after it comes out for reviews and see what people think of it. But the thing that would sell it to me is can I actually use Windows in it reliably? I don't think um, currently with the Vive you can use the Windows Mixed Reality platform in the same way that you can with the Windows Mixed Reality headsets where you can actually launch that version of Windows 10 um, but if I can use things like virtual desktop or big screen and actually be able to work for long periods of time and read text clearly and use multiple windows, like that would be a big seller for me with that extra resolution. Um, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. It, it may be a better purchase for me to just pick up one of the Samsung Odysseys instead and have two different types of headsets instead of two versions of almost the same thing. Yeah, the other thing that would probably push me over the edge to pick one up is um, if they started doing a kind of a bundle thing that had that headset with its wireless thing, because I'm guessing the TPCast is not going to be able to move enough pixels to do wireless with the higher resolution. I could be wrong. Somebody Mm -hmm. will figure it out. Um, But if they had the new headset with the new wireless thing with whatever the tracking stuff is, and then they had the new Knuckles controllers like Mm -hmm. a controller upgrade in there with everything now we're really talking yeah they did confirm HTC confirmed that the knuckles are not going to be paired with the vibe pro and it sounded like the knuckles thing is a is a valve project it's not specifically an HTC product so the article I read was speculating that maybe valve's just going to release this on their own like they did the steam controller yeah Cool. Yeah, it's, it's the the, uh, the HTC Vive Pro is going to be paired with the same style of controllers that we have now, the One controllers, but they're going to have Steam VR tracking 2.0 in them instead of one point whatever we have now. Do you have any details on what that means? No, not okay. anymore. I used to kind of know, but I was confused about it and then got frustrated and closed that article. Okay, and that that was six months ago. I know bigger play areas and more devices are a big part of it because i think they really want to get to the point where you can have like lots of vr accessories like have your your vr sword and shield mounted on the wall and your <laughs> vr shotguns and your vr guitar drum set elevator you know all those things vr Segway. that gets pretty dangerous so the other headset that I've been waiting on for four or five months now, um, the Daydream World Sense headset that we've been waiting on basically since Google I.O. last year, that was going to be out by the end of the year. Um, 
wasn't out by the end of the year, <laughs> obviously. Uh, one of those two headset manufacturers canceled on that, so HTC backed out of that one. We talked about that on the podcast. Lenovo is still on board with theirs, and they showed off a prototype this week. Uh, let's see, what's it called? Mirage. It's a really nice-looking headset. Um, it's a world... It's a WorldSense headset. It uses inside-out tracking. It's an entirely standalone device, so you don't plug it into anything. You don't put a phone in it. Um, there's an article I'll link to. It's pretty specked out. It is a, a pretty nice piece of hardware. Um, you know, Snapdragon 835, some pretty good audio stuff, 4 gigs of RAM, um, nice big battery, a 5.5-inch display. Pretty decent resolution. I think it's a 2560 by 1440. Uh, so it's a pretty nice looking thing. The The price hasn't been confirmed yet, but the article that I'm reading says it's going to be close to $400, which is a lot. I was really thinking these things were going to come out in the 200 to 250 range, like the Oculus Go. And this is a better piece of hardware than the Oculus Go, but not by much. And that's coming out at 200. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with this. It, at the end of the day, this is a six degree of freedom inside out tracking headset, but you still have that little laser pointer head controller. And if if there were you know two motion contra- motion track controllers like with the Vive or with the Windows Mixed Reality headsets then I could see paying that much for it. But for basically being able to move my head around with a laser pointer, that's a lot of money. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, I don't know, it looks nice, but I just don't see that taking off for 400 bucks. Maybe I'm wrong, hopefully I'm wrong. Well, I, when we previously looked at the Daydream stuff, when I did, when you showed it to me, um, I really had a, a problem if the headset did not have the full world sense capability. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe $400 world sense works. But part of the difficulty with a lot of these things is that until a friend of yours gets one, it's tough to know what it's doing for you. Mm-hmm. It was like when uh, Apple was used doing uh, HDR displays and was trying to tell people about how cool it was to have an HDR display, but the projectors on their screens weren't HDR. So they couldn't show you the visual difference between an HDR and a non-HDR display because they only had non-HDR for purposes of demo. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can watch somebody do a review and talk about whether this is cool or not, but now it's how much I subjectively trust their interpretation is going to be similar to mine. Like, you like daydream three degrees of freedom i need the full six yeah um and depending upon who listened to who like for me the extra 200 bucks is easy like i wouldn't buy the cheaper one because i don't like it but for you it's like well that just seems too much um that's not a subjective judgment about your judgment that's me just going, I don't know what that means. I guess I was just really hoping that the six degree of freedom headset would also come with six degree of freedom controllers, but they're mm-hmm. skipping the controller generation. Like I don't know I don't know how in terms of the apps that you can make with it, I don't know how different they're going to be other than being able to move around in them, how different they're gonna be than the current apps when you're still limited to the same interactions of using a laser pointer or a not very well tracked motion controller. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there are a lot better developers out there than me that are probably already working on stuff. So I will probably end up getting one and complaining about the price anyway. <laughs> so take this with a grain of salt. Um, but I think if the Oculus Go comes out around the same time, I think the Oculus Go is a three degree of freedom headset. So that may not be your thing, but I still think that that uh, form factor is a really good kind of entry-level VR um, to get people into it that wouldn't normally buy it, especially people who don't want to have to have a high-end phone or go get a gaming PC, things like that. 
Um, I don't know. I think that stuff could be really cool. It could also just be really disappointing. It's, I guess it's too early to say because none of these products are out yet. Yeah, that's also a little obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I, I like the Apple. Okay, we're announcing this today and it's available next week. Thank yeah. you. Like, <laughs> you showed me the cool product and now I get to wait six months? Yeah, exactly. It'll be out by the end of the year. And now this will be out <laughs> sometime in Q2 of 2018. Ow. So, yeah, there's that. So, the only other quick topic I have I don't run the Unity betas because um, I don't really need the distraction. But I saw a couple of people this week who are running the Unity betas tweeting about something that I think is very interesting. I think it's called the Unity Shader Graph Tool. may have a more elegant name, but I couldn't find anything. But it is similar to the Material Editor in in Unreal Engine, which is one of the things I really like the most about Unreal Engine, is being able to use the node-based system that they have for blueprints. They made something very similar for making materials and being able to pass in you know, a texture here and do some functions on it and calculations and just kind of walk through the entire chain of the process and see how your material changes from node to node until you get to the end. Um, it looks like Unity is building something similar in the 2018.1 beta. And all I did was just see a couple of tweets and screenshots and GIFs and got pretty excited about it, but not excited enough to go install the beta. I figured in two or three months that I'll be on my machine and I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but um, just something that kind of made me happy. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it looks pretty slick. Mm-hmm. Now, see if you can find a screenshot of some shader code <laughs> <laughs> and see why I'm so happy. No, 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 I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, it's one of those things that I've always had a vague awareness of how complicated that could be. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure I could figure it out if I really spent some time trying to learn it. But every time I just... Like, oh, okay. I'll just uh, I'll just duplicate the shader and make some modifications myself. And I do that. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. close that, close that, back away slowly, back to the asset store. <laughs> so anyway, that's my update. Like I said, not a ton of work this week on Unity stuff or VR stuff, but uh, you know, I've got some stuff in the works and just need to be able to keep the company up and running while I work on this stuff. So. What are you working on? Well, most of my week was spent on day job stuff. Uh, the good news is I got a lot done. Nice. Um, big accomplishments that have nothing to do with VR or game development. So I'm not going to go into them. But it was a really good week. Um, <laughs> I uh, The big thing game-wise that I'm playing with now conceptually is what to do next Mm -hmm. and i'm torn in two directions the first is okay i've got my clown game my prototype was made and i've kind of established the concept there's a lot of cool stuff that i can do with a bunch of extra work um but i i think i could actually have something there at some point i should go ahead and make that like that's that's established fact in my head, for lack of a okay. better term. Okay, cool. That said, it doesn't say that's what you should do next. Mm-hmm. It just says, this is an item that's now on the to-do list somewhere. And it can even be someday maybe, but it's on the list. But that said, uh, what was it, a week ago, a week and a half ago? Mm-hmm. I got to play around with your play space for VR stuff with the puzzle game you're working on. And had a lot of fun playing with kind of slightly unstructured stuff in a VR environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it reignited for me the desire to do something in VR. Like I, I'd been playing with VR and playing more and more elaborate games. And as those things got more elaborate and better, 
the connection between those things and something that I could do was getting further and further apart. And so you just, needed, with, so you just needed some of my crappy code to inspire you. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I knew you were going to do that, by the way. Um, so it was really just that I didn't need to be making Fallout 4 yeah. to make something worthwhile or beyond worthwhile, just fun. Like, with your stuff, I was... And this was your play space, not your game. Mm -hmm. But a place for you to test out ideas and play with stuff. That was a lot of fun running around in there and throwing cubes around and bouncing things off of walls and hitting your ceiling fan and stuff like that. <laughs> it was a blast. And so it reignited for me the desire to really dig in and start the VR stuff again. So... The VR probably wins for two mm -hmm. reasons. One, I'm a little bit more fired up about that. And two, we do have this podcast about VR development. So if I just spent all of my time developing in Unity, but not doing VR, my value is slightly off. Um, we have a VR podcast? Yeah. What's it called? I've been recording this every week, Joe, and just releasing it without telling you. What? Huh. Months. It's been going on for months. Wow. Um, I hope it's doing well. <laughs> it's been doing fantastically. So do you have any ideas for what you want to make? Do you have like a, you had a pretty good idea for the clown thing for something to prototype. Do you have one of those in VR or is it just a matter of kind of learning the tools and kind of getting inspired by what you're learning? Yes. The second one. Okay. I just want to get in there and play around. I want to make some more cubes like you had in your play space and just play with some stuff. I've got an idea for something that's <clears throat> kind of an unstructured puzzle thing that maybe involves... Yeah, I don't know. So I assume you want to do Steam VR stuff. Absolutely. In Unity. So I will send you a link to, and I'll put this in the show notes, to unity3d.college. Um, it's a blog I've been following lately and uh, an email newsletter. And they, this developer or developers, I think there might be multiples, but it's mostly a guy named Jason. Um, tons of articles on just how to get started in various ways with the Steam VR plugin and the interaction stuff. Um, so most of what I've learned has come from this blog. And frankly, he's just he's filling in the gaps where Valve and Unity have just not made documentation. Um, this has served as a really good third place for that, where that documentation should exist. It doesn't, but you can find the answers here. So yeah, with that in mind, I was thinking in terms of, okay, we'll dig into this stuff. And a couple of days later... Um, they announced the new version of the Steam VR plugin, and I said, "Perfect timing." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you were more of a, "Yeah, I was afraid of that." <laughs> well, I, uh, it was perfect timing because I hadn't actually modified any of the last versions. So. Right, but still, but I actually emailed the developer on this blog about that issue to see if he had any thoughts. Like, should I be using this plugin, or should I just write everything myself using the Open VR stuff and Unity? So I'm hoping he'll get back to me or maybe even write a couple of articles about it. Because um, he's written most of these Steam VR things before you had the option. And most of these articles predate Unity's native integration with OpenVR. Which right. just came in like 2017.1. So I think that was you know barely six months ago. Um, so yeah, it's now we've got the rendering all moved into Unity. I think that happened first, and then the next update, they moved all of the controller stuff into Unity. There are now ways to use all of that stuff without ever touching the SteamVR plugin. It's just a matter of, do you want to build your own interactable objects? Do you want to build your own teleportation system? And lots of people do. And there are other things on the asset store. If you don't want to build that, or you don't want to use the SteamVR stuff, there are other options as well. Um, 
I, I think I'm going to end up using the Steam VR stuff unless somebody more intelligent tells me not to, just because it's got so much. It's got the, uh, the scene loading stuff that I want. It's got the teleport stuff, and it's really customizable with the teleporting. So I can use the same code that the lab uses, but visually and from a user standpoint, it looks and feels completely differently than what the lab uses. That's just how customizable they made it. Um, I know you like the longbow example from the lab. That entire game mechanic is built right into the SteamVR interaction toolkit, so you can go play with that. And they use that as an example to expose something. What's it, what is it exactly is it called? Uh, basically, item packages are, I think that's the right term, groups of VR objects that when you, like when you pick up the bow, you also pick up the arrows. You get those together. Okay. Um, those are like item packages, and they use the bow and arrow as an example of how to set those up in Unity. So it's a pretty neat concept. People do the same thing with like multiple guns or even the, uh, the little machine that uh, controls that little vehicle in the lab. That's another one of those or the machine that blows up balloons. Um, yeah, there's lots of good stuff. I would say start with the Steam VR plugin, read the README file, read the quick start guide. They both tell you to, for more information, read the other. <laughs> and then click down into the interaction toolkit, and there's another README in there that you should read. And then start with this blog, the unity3d.college blog, and start reading through some of their stuff. And most of these articles are you know, three to five minutes long. Just quick examples of like how to get teleporting up and running, things like that. Like how to, uh, how to pick up objects in SteamVR. And uh, I think by the time three or four days of that, um, you'll start to get ideas pretty quickly of like more and more things to build. Like I'm definitely at the point where everything is a new game idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, like even that bug with the grass, it's like there's three or four game ideas with buggy grass that I could do. <laughs> awesome. So yeah. It's a, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of really fun stuff. There's a lot of fun to be had here, both making games and playing games. So I'm interested to see what you come up with. Me too. So what else you got? Uh, so we had, we had kind of a, a, a mini topic. Well, hopefully a mini topic might drag on we'll see um and uh it had to do with uh functional programming styles okay and the value of them and how to understand them and things like that because uh even though it wasn't game development related in the last couple of years a lot of my day job programming has involved this and i've kind of jumped into them with both feet and fallen in love with this style of development and you're just kind of tapping into that at this point or wondering whether you should even bother mm -hmm. yeah i haven't really done much with it myself other than a couple of swift functions like just playing around with it in swift playgrounds like oh that's how to use map that's neat anyway back to work <laughs> Yeah, so we're talking about the kind of map reduce filter sort of programming constructs. Um, I have a tendency to use kind of the generic terms. We have a tendency to be like this map reduce kind of thing. There are similar concepts in C Sharp that can then work in uh, Unity. And I checked so, out a couple of them, so they do work. So b before you dive into the details... What is functional programming? Um, wow. In its most generic form, gosh, I got to like look up a, a definition. Um, there is a lot of the functional programming stuff that involves um, passing 
complete subroutines as parameters to functions. Okay, okay. so you're, you're passing functions around as a data type that you can just pass into something. And so what that gives you the ability to do is say, oh, I've got this thing that knows how to interact with my custom data structure. And I can pass it a parameter that's an entire function that takes inputs and everything, you know, has, has parameters. And my manager object can go, okay, cool. Thanks for the function. I'm now going to run this against all of your objects and then give you back a result. Um, really powerful, really tough to wrap your head around. At least for me. <clears throat> like, honestly, I'm barely scratching the surface of this. But for the pieces that I've gotten into, there's some kind of simplified versions that you can start with that I think are easier to pick up. Um, and these are things like the map function. So the best analogy that I've come up with for describing how to think about some of these functions is set theory. So most programmers will have a relatively clear idea of what the intersection between two sets looks like. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a set of all the students who are in class A and a, the names of all the students who are in class B and I can intersect those two and get a list of all the students that are in both classes. And the terminology for doing this has been clearly established for uh, 140 years. Um, I, I looked, it's like 1870 is when modern set theory really became a thing. And so, you know, union and intersect and... Um, doing like an XOR or something like that. These sorts of things are clearly established concepts have been around for a really long time. And if you're doing computer programming, you can say, oh, I have set A, A, I have set B. Give me the intersection of these two sets. And you just ask for the intersection and you get the intersection. You get the things that are in both. <clears throat> However, there's nothing to stop you from writing that the long way. So you could write that as, okay, take set A and iterate through each element in set A. And as you get each element, look to see if it exists in set B. And if it does exist in set B, then go ahead and stick it in set C. But if it doesn't, then don't. And when you're done, return set C. Yeah, that's, that's probably 25% of the FileMaker code that I've written. Right. Is doing some of that. And that's because FileMaker doesn't have any kind of array manipulation functions of that variety. You know, dealing with sets in that way, we just don't have the tools. But in something like Swift or C Sharp or JavaScript, you can just say, set A, set B, give me the intersection, hand it back. Okay, so you get the, the shorthand that just gives you the short version. So map and reduce and filter and these kinds of functions are just like intersect union and whatever but about dealing with sequential data types for our purposes today let's talk about just arrays okay <clears throat> so i've got an array there are a series of things that we want to do to arrays really often okay one of them is filter the array go through each of the items in the array and decide whether to keep it or not and of the ones that you decided to keep, hand that back. That's a fair... Like, you've done that a thousand times in FileMaker. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> unfortunately, in FileMaker, you always have to do it the long way. In classic programming, you would make a loop. And loop through each of the items in A and run an equation against it. Some little test that you wrote that says whether you keep it or not. And if you keep it, then you stick it over in another array, array B. And when it's all done, you hand array B back. In a filter functional programming function, you say, take this array, filter it using this equation. 
And that's all you have to hand it. You get back the filtered array. Okay, so it replaces about eight lines of code with a single line of code that's very clear about what it's doing. You can read it and say, okay, I'm starting with this array, and then I'm going to be getting back an array that is some subset of that original array set in their existing form. So if I handed it a bunch of browser pages, I'm going to get back browser pages because nothing in this is going to transform any of these objects. I'm just removing items from the list. That's all I'm doing. And so even though it's very concise and very short in the way that it expresses, it doesn't lose any of its expressiveness. It actually gains expressiveness because if you just bumped into a loop that starts with like, oh, I've got an array of browser pages and now I'm going to do something with it in a loop. You have to look at that loop to figure out whether you're converting things or just aggregating things or making a smaller list. And you can get around some of that with some commenting. But then you bump into issues where your comments may not keep up with your changes in code and stuff like that. Filter makes it very easy to just say, give me the smaller set. Um, the map function... Um, which in C-sharp would end up being um, convert all if you're just working with a list or there's some other stuff that you can do with the select statement through link, which I'm not really going to get into. But if people cared about that, you can go look there. Um, but what this map function says is for every single item in array A, I'm going to give you back an item in array B. And here is how you extract the pieces that I want. Hmm. That's all you have to hand it. And so I can look at it and go, oh, there's a map statement, which means that I'm going to get back the exact same number of items. All that's going to change is that the basically the type of the object is going to change. So I'm handing it a set of browser pages, and all I want back is the URLs for those browser pages. It's a one-to-one -one correspondence. So it's just browser page URL, browser page to URL. And I get back a list of strings. Yay. But it's actually very clear because it just says, you know, uh, browser page array dot map. And then in the language specific functional designation, you say uh, current browser page dot URL. That's it. And it just goes through each of the items in the list and goes, oh, let me grab the URL and stick that over here. There's a separate function that you would use if you want to say, some of these browser pages will fail a test and I don't want those back, but map the rest of them. So what that does is right there in the function name, you know that you may be getting back a smaller array. So... What it does is then you can start chaining these things. Okay. Well, let, let me start with, does that make any sense? So a little bit. I think maybe this is just me spending too much of my life in databases, but I'm, I'm trying to translate it through my own experience. And it seems closer to execute SQL statements of like how to get certain fields or certain calculated results out of a table it, it seems similar in that regard like i can select all the records in the table where in line i'm also doing a sum of related data and the result of that sum is greater than 50. things like that it seems similar to that kind of conceptually obviously i'm not writing functions in sql i'm just writing out all that as a select statement um but I think, I don't know, I need to actually do some of this. Is there, before you get on to chaining them together, is there like a set, you know, core set of functions that most languages implement, things like map and filter, or is it, are there a half dozen of these? Are there many dozens or hundreds of them? Um, there's quite a few. Most people get most of what they want out of about four or five. Okay. Um, ninety percent of my work is done with, and these are the Swift terms: uh, map, filter, 
four each, which is kind of like a your your standard for each loop. Mm-hmm. But it does it in the functional style. Um, which just makes it easy to chain. Like the for each loop is the long verbose version of just this for each functional thing. Um, so yeah, map filter for each. Um, some people really get into reduce, which is about combining items or reducing them to another set. So for example, with reduce, you would say, I have an array of numbers and I would like to add them all up. The basic version is, okay, make an integer. Now loop through each of the items and add the value to the integer. Mm-hmm. But reduce just gives you a short way to say, add these, the, add each item to the item before it, run through the list, done. So can you do things with reduce on like vector threes? Could you reduce a list of vector threes or an array of vector threes? Almost certainly. I'm just not sure what the equation would be that you'd be using. Okay. But sure. Yeah, if you want to take like, you've got 10 different force vectors being applied to an object and you want to figure out what the end result of all of that vector math is, mm-hmm. that's a reduce thing. Um, and so you would just say, here is my array of vectors. Here's how you combine vectors. You know, it's basically like uh, X1 plus X2 comma Y1 plus Y2 comma uh, Z1 plus Z2 sort of thing. Yeah. Could you, you could pass in other functions, right? So I could pass in Unity's, whatever Unity's functions are for adding vectors. Sure. Or multiplying vectors or whatever that would Absolutely. Look like. Yeah, if you want to use their faster vector math stuff, potentially optimized vector math, absolutely. Um, you can call equations in there. You can write, and, and this is where it gets into the larger part of the functional programming, you can write a 15-line function in the middle of this thing. And the cool part is when I'm looking back at my code, I'm looking and it says, oh, this is a reduce. So I know that all everything that's happening in the next 15 lines all it's going to do is cram this down into one value at the end. Okay, thanks. The details of that are kind of inconsequential. I'm hoping that my comments will tell me what's happening there. But if it's a big complex thing, I at least know in the chain of events that I took a big array, I filtered it down to a smaller set, and then I crammed those all down into one value. Thank you very much. Hmm. And it just... It's a little weird when you first start playing with it, but once you get it, A, they're not hard to write. And B, they're actually really, really expressive. It makes it very easy to go back and read my code later and be able to get the the large generalities of what a particular function is doing very quickly when it ends up just being taken array and apply a series of operations to it and give me back a result. And three lines of functional programming functions are way more expressive than 20 lines of code with comments. So did you use any of these functions in your clown prototype? Uh, I did at one point. Um, Hang on a second and maybe I will look for it. Okay. Um. I can't seem to find the code. But basically what I've got is there are players that are in the game and then they get hit by clowns and they become player clowns. And so what I need to do is filter through that list to make sure that um, when the last player gets killed, they are... um, That we signal the end of the game. And I think I've rewritten this stuff, but it was relatively easy to just go, okay, make a list of all the player game objects. You know, not not an array, but a C-sharp list object. 
And the cool thing about lists is they are editable. You can say to this list, remove an item from the list. And so I could then say, take this list and now filter it by still a player. And that got me what I wanted. Whereas if you're looking at kind of child game objects, it can be a little tough to do some of those set operations without doing the 10 lines of code mm -hmm. to say, um, you know, oh, build a new list. Now add an item to the list each time that it's a player and not a player clown. Um, so I could filter from that and then do something like a map in C-sharp terms, a convert all to turn that into a list of the player names. So I could have this separate array that's just, oh, just the player names. I could use that for reporting purposes or something like that. But anytime I wanted to convert array A into a similar array B, it was just a single line of code. Okay, so I've got an example. Maybe we can talk through and see if this is a good application for functional programming, and if so, what functions and what what I should use, or even if I should even do this. So I've got a laser turret that can target lots of different types of objects, um, basically anything on a tag called enemy, which I still need to change that name to something else because the I, I'm confusing myself because the Laser turrets are the enemy, but they're targeting the enemies. So yeah, that's bad naming on my side. But basically, anything that has this tag um, can be a potential target, but the types of game objects that can have that tag are very, very different. So the player can be on that tag. You could have various interactable objects. You could have kind of moving walls or shields. Um, maybe even other AI players that are working with the player or even other laser turrets that could see each other as enemies under certain circumstances. So lots of things could have this. So I thought about adding a component called like level of interest, um, where this component is basically just there to hold a value of like, you know, the base level of interest, everything starts with 100, anything less than 100 is less interesting. Anything more than 100 is more interesting. And then changing the way that some of the turrets work. Right now, the current one that I have focuses on the nearest object. So it uses Center Toolkit to get a list of results that it's sensing that is within its field of view and can actually see in the line of sight. And then it just gets the closest one to that by calculating the transforms. I'm wondering if I could replace that functionality in some levels or just certain turret types with ignore the closest one, give me the most interesting one. So the player could evade the turret by throwing it a more interesting target to be distracted with, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so at that point, I would be getting, I know how to add the component, and I know how to get the list of, of those objects back by those components, and my next step was going to be loop through those and sort them into a, a way that I want and then get the first one out of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is a good use for functional programming? Uh, probably. So what you're looking for there in C-sharp is an order by. Okay. And so what, you, what you're doing with order by is you're saying, I've got an array, I've got a list. <clears throat> order these items so that the end result is going to be a list of the exact same length, but they will now be in order. And then all you have to hand it as basically the parameter to this thing is a little description of how it compares two objects and decides which one comes first. Mm -hmm. You just hand it that equation and it does the work and hands you back an array that is sorted in the correct order. So that to get the, the most interesting thing, you don't have to go, okay, well have a value that stores the current most interesting thing on the list and then the current value of the most interesting thing and then loop through all the items on the list and see if something's more interesting than the one that we've currently got saved and kind of run through it that way. And that's totally functional. You can do it that way. So but just I... doing order by is pretty simple and it'll just be a question of performance. So can I actually 
like whatever I get back from Center Toolkit is a list of game objects which with their attached components. So could I get that list of objects? I think it's an I list for some reason. They went with I list instead of list. Okay. Um, but I get an I list back of game objects. So I would do some kind of um, order by call on the game objects dot get component and then specify my component name. Could it, do you think it would work out that far or would I have to write mm -hmm. some kind of custom logic to get that component? Nope. You could, if you can make a, a chain of stuff, but like I said, you can even do entire functions. Like you could have 10 lines of code as part of this order by, but the end result of what you need in that order by is how to determine if a is earlier than B. Mm -hmm. That's all that equation needs to reduce to. But you can make that equation as long as you want. It could be 200 lines of code. You're probably going to be able to do it with a single line of code. Yeah. Which is... Um, let's do another small pause and I will... Uh, Safari new C sharp list order by... Um, because I think... Um, yeah, it's just a, a single thing. So what you end up doing is you end up saying, okay, I've got my list of game objects dot order by, and then in parentheses, basically the function that you hand it is just like, Okay, each time you find one of these things, call it a uh, an an OBJ. I, I just I, I need to, it's like the for each. You name the thing that's coming off of the stack or off of the list. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to name it here, and then you just say I've got this object. So now that the value that this object has is expressed as object dot get component your interest thing dot number plus or minus some other number but th there you go that's it this number that's okay. how you do it and so when you're doing the order by you end up telling it whether to um have to do it in inverse um yeah because basically i just want the I know I have to I have to kind of order by the entire list and get the entire list back, but really all I want is the mm -hmm. the single object with the highest value at the end of that. Yeah. So there's a there's a thing in here where you can designate whether you want it to order. There's order by and then order by descending. Okay. So you're going to do order by descending, and then hand it how to get the number. That's it. And when you're done running that the zeroth element on that list will be the most interesting thing in the world. So is the, are these concepts tied to that list function or the list functionality in C-sharp? Or is this something that I could use on iList? Or do I need to convert my iList to list somehow? So order by is specific to list. Okay. So you may just have to map the iList to a list. Most of those things have kind of the, what do they call it in Swift? It's like toll-free bridging. Mm -hmm. You can just map these things over. They convert pretty cleanly. So it's just okay. as lists and you get your thing back. Um, or there's another whole set of them that go through what's called link. L-I-N-Q. And that's a technology that operates similarly but works more generically. So it works across all innumerable object types. Hmm. Okay. And so what you can do is you can even have your own custom class that contains innumerable stuff and you can make your class basically subscribe to the I innumerable protocol and now your thing can have these special things run against it. Hmm. Um, so... The link stuff is is more general, but it's a little bit more complicated to use. Most of the time I was working with lists in my programming. And so just staying there and using the 
the slightly simpler list-based version yeah. was good for me. It sounds like I may want to look at link, though, because the data I'm getting back is already an iList or an enumerable list. Maybe right, that's how they intend me to get to this stuff. Versus list. Let's see. You may actually be able to use it directly. It's the stuff that I'm reading here is suggesting that list is an implementation of the iList interface. Oh, nice. You may just be able to go directly to it. Give it a shot. I mean, literally, all you have to do is type the type in one example. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. will either let you compile or not. Um, yay, modern compilers. Um, yeah, it'll start telling you that there are problems with that very, very quickly if there's a problem with it. Yeah. And then once I get that part figured out, it's just a matter of, I, I would probably want to turn this into a coroutine. I don't want this running every frame. Um, not only because it wouldn't be performant, but I don't really want the turret changing targets that quickly. Right. I want it to be more of a, a dumb AI. It's like every second, maybe up to every second, it could change targets, but maybe once it's, once it's locked on to a target rotating, it can't, retarget until either it's finished targeting or a certain time passes i don't i don't want a super a super quick like super reactive turret just swinging around faster than the player can react i want it kind of like you know mockable dumb ai like haha you stupid ai you went for this fish stupid laser there are um, there are elements to the way, and this gets into kind of a weird technical place, but there are elements to the way that the link implementation is done that may be more performant for your purposes. Because in the end, you don't care about the entire array. You just want the first item off of the array. Mm-hmm. Um, so in... In the list implementation, it produces an entirely new array. And in the link implementation, it kind of builds this weird data structure that points all over the place, but doesn't actually do all the work until you start pulling items off the array. (laughs) So what that means is that, like, you may get a speed benefit from doing it the link way. The cool way, the cool thing is that since Link works on anything sequenceable, then it'll work just as fine on the iList as anything else would. Nice. Um, but it's, this is one of those weird spots where, like, Microsoft never throws anything away. <laughs> they, they keep all of their technology basically forever. And it has advantages and disadvantages. And the primary disadvantage is there are 30 different ways to do anything that you want to do. Um, and finding... I, I've basically given up on finding the best for any yeah. particular case. And instead just say, I found one that's good enough. And so you can try the basic uh, uh, order by. And see if that meets your needs. And if it's too slow, you can look into the other stuff. Or vice versa. Cool. I will give it a shot. Well, that was a good primer. I'm sure I'll have more questions once I start doing some of this stuff. But it was a good primer on functional programming. If you send me the equation that you would use to get like from a particular object to the value that you want... I'll do a basic wrap-up of that and send it back to you so that you can see, oh, this is this is the difference between those two things. It's not that much. You'll functional programify things for me? Absolutely. There's your, ne- there's your next development tool. <laughs> Paste in your function here. Ooh. But it's really just you on the other end quickly rewriting it and sending it back. This would only work because there's only five people in the planet who would use it. (laughs) The other thing is, once I've done it four times, you're going to go, oh, that's it? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And you'll never use it again. Because it will just 
the five second turnaround time to get your result back will just be too long to wait. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Uh, man, was there anything else we were going to talk about? Not on my end. I think we hit it all. Huh. Okay. I, I guess what I'll say in closing is all of the above about functional programming was probably entirely wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's been working. Like it, I've been getting good use out of it and it all works. My understanding of what's happening behind the scenes or behind the curtain may be not 100% correct. But if you stick A in and get out B every time, there is a kind of understanding that comes from that. This is the yeah. kind of understanding that normally makes Joe throw up his hands and run screaming from the room. But <laughs> but I did not commit three months of my life to understanding functional programming, which is probably to my detriment. I will try not to commit three months of my <laughs> life to understanding functional programming. But you never know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny you have to mention something like that. Like, hey, everything we said may be wrong. Um, we are the same people who did our, a previous podcast called Massively Unqualified Development. So uh, maybe we should put a disclaimer somewhere on the VR Hermit site of uh, we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I wrap all of that up in the we're all just learning this. And you're coming along for the ride. Anything that we say in this episode may be entirely supplanted by anything that we say in any following episode. Or any and, previous episode. And if we don't supplant it in a future episode, that does not mean that this one was correct. It just means we never got back to it. So yeah. your mileage may vary. I mean, depending on where you are in the podcast, I am either working on an Unreal Engine project, a Daydream project in Unity, a daydream project in Unreal Engine, a Steam VR project in Unreal Engine, or a Steam VR project in Unity, <laughs> or all of them. <laughs> it's like the quantum theory of VR hermits. Like, you never really know what Joe's working on until you interrogate. I, I'm just glad that we didn't work Unreal into the name of the podcast somewhere. We would have had to rename the podcast eight times. Yeah, you were you were up for that at first. Yeah. Ideas. Yeah. Something about virtual unreality or something. Yeah. Well, that's the good part about brainstorming is come up with as many bad ideas as humanly possible and they will become very apparent to you. Yeah, if we ever run out of show titles, we can just start using some of our potential names for the podcast. <laughs> that's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. And if you can... Uh, like us or rate us in your podcast player of choice and share us with some friends either in the VR development space or anyone who may be interested in these topics. Thanks for listening.